<clears throat> as I do, let's hold them up. I'm a child of God. I have in my hand the powerful Word of God. It can change lives, heal broken hearts, save man's soul. Here's our prayer. Lord Jesus, today, speak to me. In Jesus' name, amen. Turn to your neighbor and say, Take it easy. It's going to be okay. I want to welcome you today. We have several guests with us today, and we're grateful for your attendance and here today. I hope that you find a church that's a loving and gracious church, and we, we love having you here. Hope you'll come again uh, often and be a part of what we're doing. We're in a series this uh, <clears throat> summer uh, called The Blessed Revolution, studying the Beatitudes. Today we're gonna look in uh, the, uh, found in Matthew chapter five, we're gonna look at merciful and meek and hungering and thirsting for righteousness. We're gonna look at the type of people who walk toward God and that those who continue to walk away from God. We want to especially take a look at what it means to be meek and what it doesn't mean. Perhaps we've created pockets of tolerance within the Christian church for not meekness, for the opposite of what God actually wants to do within us. And if that's the case, then how do we repent of that? <clears throat> because when we look at history, it's been littered with angry alpha males. <clears throat> there are angry alpha females out there as well, but when you look at history, history has been predominantly dominated by males, and I'm, I'm sorry to say that includes church history. We have a lot of repenting to do as the church of God. In 1824 was the last time the church officially killed someone for being a heretic. It's really not that long ago. It appears that when you look at history that the church stopped killing in the name of Jesus because they lost power, not because they gave it up willingly. As the state became increasingly secular post-enlightenment, the state refused to do the church's bidding in carrying out those executions. And throughout history, we've recorded church leaders who have repented of those atrocities. But the bigger question is, are those repentances genuine or because they have been exposed? It's kind of like modern day repentance. Is it real? Is it genuine? Or is it because they got caught? You see, that's what happens to us. We continue to believe that we're living the godly life, even though we're living a life of sin. And we're only repentant when we get caught and it's exposed. You see, cockroaches run when the light exposes. So we're no better than a cockroach, are we? Boy, how godly we become when we're caught. I've talked to many people in prison, in jail. They found Jesus. Every time I see them, they've got their hand up in the air and the other one on a Bible, and they found Jesus. Oh, pastor, Oh, pastor, I had an experience. <clears throat> I want it to be real. I want it to be genuine. But the real tale 
And the real test is what happens when they get out of prison. When freedom again is given to them and they can do what they want, <clears throat> are they still going to have that hand up and that hand on, other hand on the Bible? And are they still going to praise the Lord in the midst of the struggles? Well, what a powerful testimony. And she looked at God and said, not me. I was supposed to be a womanizer. I was supposed to be a drunk like my dad. All five boys, we were supposed to turn out just like our dad. That's what we were told. All of our relatives told us you're going to be just like him. And yet all five of us boys were nothing like him. Nothing. Because we decided that we weren't going to be that way. And we said, it ain't happening. Now my oldest brother didn't have Christ to connect that behavior to, but somehow he, may, he, didn't, he didn't go that route. But boy, I'd have never made it without the Lord. When I found him at 14, I never looked back. I was at the church all the time. In fact, the preacher gave me a key to open the church because I got there before he did. He said, well, if you're going to come this early, at least turn the heat on or the AC on or whatever, you know, let's, let's put you to work. So he had me a key. So I went around every Sunday and turned everything on, lights, you know, AC, heat, whatever. Because I was so goofy, I didn't know any different. And you know what? I sat on the second row. He said, I said, what should I have? He said, have a Bible and a notepad. I said, what am I going to do with the notepad? He said, just, just write down questions. So I'd write down questions, then I'd get him in the week, and I'd ask him all these questions, and he'd just look at me like, are, are, have you, would you stop? But I couldn't get enough. I couldn't take in enough. Because I'd missed out on so much. I thought Job was Job and Psalms was Palms. And when he called out Habakkuk, I thought he was cussing me out in Hebrew. I didn't know. <clears throat> After the church decided to repent, it did it, it did it dragging its and kicking its feet. But you see, the real issue is that it was the anger and the wrath and the judgment that churches would use in their seat of godness. And it often carried them to places they shouldn't go. And, and though it wasn't on the surface, it went underground. And some of it's still carried around today. There's times when I engage with preachers and I'm grateful that they don't have power because a lot of them can't handle it. A lot of them will misuse it. And they do misuse it. Christians who have power don't do any better with it than non-Christians do. In fact, we do far worse because we assume that God is on our side when we express our anger. And we can quote a Bible passage that justifies our wrath. But we need to be a generation that does the hard work of asking God to help us see things that we've been blinded to. Because history can be a powerful thing. Culture can be a powerful thing. And no doubt our culture and church has some blinders on. We have to do the hard work of staring at the Scripture and saying, my blinders have actually caused me to read things in the Scripture that aren't really there and to read out of Scripture things I really shouldn't and avoid things that have been staring at me in the face all the time. That's the problem with traditions. 
If we're not students of the word, we'll believe the tradition of scripture and it'll trump it every time. Because old brother and sister so-and-so said something that's it's as though God said it. Now, God may have said it. God may very well have said it. But there's so many times when we are responsible to know the word of God. How can you defend your faith if you don't know the word of God? How can you defend your faith if you don't know the word of God? So for the next few minutes this morning, I want us to uh, spend some time uh, taking a look at that. And we're going to jump in our verse, Matthew chapter 5. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. <coughs> Blessed are those who are meek, not those who are angry, male, alpha types. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, not those who hunger for power. The word meek in the Greek text is the same word that we translate gentle. In other words, it's power under control. Don't misunderstand that meekness is not weakness. It's power under control. Do you know men that are powerful men, but they have their power under control? Big difference, isn't there? I know some powerful men, and some of them don't have it under control. They want you to know how powerful they are, and they don't mind lording it over you and intimidating you and manipulating you because of their power. They do it in various ways. We see it in politics all the time, don't we? You see it at the office all the time, don't you? Somebody gets a title. They believe they have power now because of that title. <laughs> Meekness, not weakness. It's power under submission. And what we learn in Scripture is that this is a command, not a suggestion. This is not a blessing of what is, but of what is to come. This is what we learn as we continue through the teachings of Jesus. He's not saying, those of you who hope to hunger and thirst for righteousness, you'll be filled. And the rest of you who don't, well, you don't care anyway, so it doesn't matter. He's saying this is what normally a Christian looks like. This is what a normal Christian looks like. And because some are alpha males and alpha females, it's going to be a challenge to develop in your, our lives the idea of meekness. Let me, I probably need to define what an alpha male and alpha female is. They're the leaders of the dog pack. They're the ones that are always saying, okay, get in line. There was, they're the ones that are saying, pull, mush, get on, come on, come on, come on, come on. Get with it. Here we go. Here we go. We go. They're the ones that are always raising their voice. They're the ones that are always in charge. They're the ones always yelling. They're always. They're the ones that rally the rest of us. So often alpha male and alpha females get bonded with anger. And then that anger becomes a tool. Am, am I describing anybody that you know? Have you looked in the mirror lately? Am I describing you? Okay. Being an alpha male or female is not bad in itself. It just means that you might have really good leadership skills. That's what that really means. But if Jesus calls us to meekness, then it's possible for an alpha male or female to come to gentleness. There's nothing more powerful than a powerful man who shows power under control. I've seen some very tough, rough, men 
when you hold a baby in front of them are altogether different. Better yet, put a puppy in front of them. Oh, oh, it's terrible. And big old rough looking, mean looking men. They'll grab a baby and start to go, their whole voice, vocabulary changes. And they talk to a dog like the dog could understand. The dog is looking at them and they're going, haven't you seen them? Big old ornery looking guys. You just put a puppy or a baby in front of them and they just, well, they're not going to grab the baby, hey, and throw it down on the ground. They're not going to do it. Now, they may be afraid of that baby and try to cradle the baby funny. And the mother's over there going, ah, you know. <laughs> Power under control. I mean, if you're a part of the dog sled team and you're leading that dog sled team, you've got good leadership skills, there's no doubt. But you don't take the advantage of that. To contrast that, we could list a number of things that an alpha male would show, but I just want to spend some time on meekness, what it is and what it isn't. Anger hurts people. So if you talk about anger in contrast to meekness, some of you, it's going to raise a deeply hurtful area. You've been deeply wounded by someone's words and by an angry person. You've been abused by angry people. And anger hurts not just when it leads to physical violence, but it hurts in the words it says. It hurts in the words it doesn't say. Have you ever wondered why so many people are so angry? You see it in the checkout line at Reesers. They look in your, the first thing they do is look in your basket to see how much stuff you've got. And if you've got more than they want you to have, they're going to stand behind you and <laughs> that's what they'll do. Walmart. Oh, Walmart's the worst. Because you're in line waiting for your turn. You finally get up there. You've been behind that woman that has four children with her. And they're all grabbing stuff out of the basket and running off. While you're trying to wait patiently behind her to check out. And she's gone nuts and she's yelling. And all kinds of words are coming. And the kids are going, whoa, 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 and just keep on. I mean, you want to go up and smack them yourself, amen? I mean, you want to go pray with them with your hand around their throat. <laughs> Anger hurts. Words hurt. We've all experienced that silent treatment. Oh, it's, it's, as, it's, as, worse. it's as bad as the words, right? Men are, men are pathetic like this, aren't they, ladies? Can you say amen? If you all say amen, nobody will know that you're thinking about your husband. So. Men are pathetic about it. They're going to give you the silent treatment. They'll say, well, I ain't talked to you for days. No, I won't talk to you for days. I ain't never going to talk to you again. Don't make my own food. I'll make my own food. I don't need you. Right? Yeah. Them old boy, big old boy, they're going to tell you how it's going to be by not saying anything to you. Awesome. 
Matthew 5, 21 through 24, Jesus said, You have heard that the ancients were told, You shall not commit murder, and whoever commits murder shall be liable to the court. But I say to you that anyone who is angry with his brother shall be guilty before the court. So in other words, Jesus is comparing character assassination equal to murder. Ay, 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 ay. It's consistent with what he teaches. Be gentle, don't be angry. Let, let me give you some scriptural examples. There's Ephesians 4, 2, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for love uh, for one another in love. Philippians 4, 5, let your gentle spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near, Colossians 3, 12. So as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. 1 Timothy 6, 11, be, but flee from these things, you man of God, and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. 1 Peter 3.15. Oh, I love this one. But sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you. And then your version ends with a big Bible as you slap it across their head. Isn't that what yours says? With you want to give the hope that's within you as you pull the tract out of are you saved and you jump in the middle of their chest and you start to beat on them. Hey! You need to know God or you're going to hell today. What is it, what is, how does your version end this? Hope that is in you yet with what? What's it say up on the screen? I mean, I even put it up here for you. So don't say you don't know. Oh, no. With gentleness and reverence. So you hand them the tract and you say, you know, I just want you to know that God loves you. And I do too. Hey, how about we go sit down and have a meal together? Because if I'm feeding you, I've got you for at least 20 minutes. So we can talk in relational way about the Lord in our life. Hey? See? You see what I'm saying? So, you know, don't be a tightwad. Pull out the pocketbook. Buy somebody's dinner. Now, if you're, if you're tight on money, go to the Golden Rainbow Steakhouse. It's a great place. It's called McDonald's. Just go down there. They won't know. Just say, oh, it's a new steakhouse? Yeah, it's great. What a challenge for us in our culture. Our culture is not known for gentleness. There are no magazine covers that you finally get your face on because you aced gentleness. Time Magazine doesn't make you the man or woman of the year because you're a gentle person. But we do have a culture that mocks and pities those who demonstrate meekness or gentleness. They celebrate just the opposite. Blessed are the meek, for you will inherit the earth. We will possess this land not by might, but by gentleness. That's a whole nother sermon. We get not because we conquer, but because we inherit from our Father. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. So the question is, are you hungry? And are you thirsting for righteousness? Let me press you a little bit, kind of peel back another layer there. There's three Greek words associated with anger in the New Testament. And understanding these words help us to understand our and misuse of the idea of anger in our culture. Number one is the word thumos. It means rage or unrestrained fury. It refers to the emotion of Satan in Revelation 12, 12. 
and it's always wrong. Second word, agenokteo. How about that one? Sounds impressive, doesn't it? Agenokteo. I had all week to work on it, so it's, it's new for you. But it's a combination of two words, the word for much and the word for grief. To be opposed to something causing your own pain. It's not wanting to cause someone else's pain. It's absorbing the pain yourself. And in one passage in 2 Corinthians, it's translated indignation. And here's where I'm going to make some of you mad. Because here's where we make a mistake. God really dealt with me this last two weeks working on this. I almost took this out of the sermon because I didn't like it. Until God said, really? <laughs> but see, we make the mistake of importing anger. And so in some translations that use indignation, we get the idea that the Bible encourages righteous indignation. I've used it. I've heard you use it. We've all used it. But what happens is we use it to justify anger, and then we're back to where we were to start with. But what the word really means is to be grieved to the point of being pierced by that pain. When I think of men like Kermit Gosnell, when I think of the doctor in Houston, that was doing abortions, late-term abortions, every 10 minutes. Now, this is 20-plus weeks of development. Is my, is my grandson back there still? Okay. I wanted them to hold him up. He turned one yesterday. He's large and in charge. Should have seen him eating his cupcake with blue icing. It was everywhere. Took right after his grandpa, man, I'm telling you. You grab the, the first thing you grab is all the icing with this hand, and you shove it in the hole in your face. And then you grab the more with this hand, and you shove it over here too, and pretty soon you've got it all over there, and you're just licking and eating, and it's great. And you grab more, and you just keep shoving it in. Eventually you get the cake, but that icing is worth the whole trip out. <laughs> I have pictures, it's awesome. But you know, when I think of guys like Gosnell, and I think of my little grandson, and I think, how could they do that? I went up to see Rodney and Lacey's little baby boy. He was only six pounds. He was a little bitty guy. He wasn't very big. That's about the size some of those late-term abortions were. In fact, Gosnell said one of them was so big he could have he walked him hand in hand down to the bus stop. Is that grievous enough in here to want to do something? Write letters, get involved with the crisis pregnancy center, help people realize that there is an alternative out there. Then there's a third word, it's orge, and it's a standard word in the Greek for anger or wrath. It's the emotion of judgment or punishment, which is why it's stressed in the Bible, that it's God's domain. Anger is God's domain. Wrath is God's domain, not ours. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. He says that we're supposed to give a cup of cool water in His name to our enemies. If our enemies say, go a mile, go a second. 
If our enemies say, give me your coat, give them two. Orge, when it's used by God, it's translated wrath, but when it's used by us, it's translated anger. Why does the New Testament consistently call us away from anger? But let us know that God's wrath is still a reality. It's because God's the judge and we are not. If you're sitting in judgment on somebody else, stop it. Stop it. You didn't climb on the cross and die for anybody. Stop it. Well, you just don't understand. Get your, right, get your heart right with God. Stop it. Stop it. Stop it. Stop it. Stop it. We're not supposed to be angry. See, that's what throws people off if you don't get angry. The IRS calls. Oh, and they've called us. They've called us here at the church. <laughs> hey, y'all didn't pay some of this stuff. Says, yes, sir, that's right. And you know, since you guys have messed up so much, listen, we just apologize. That's, that's what we, you know, Gary just told him, said, look, we just apologize and, and uh, we plead the fifth. Well, the letters that follow didn't, didn't seem to respond to that very well at all. They're demanding money from us. Wow. Well, we paid it. Render unto Caesar what is Caesar's, and unto the Lord what is the Lord's. What's the Lord's? That's us. It's us. Romans 2.5 describes orge as the day of judgment. It's also called the day of God's wrath. So... God's anger is righteous because he's the judge. Our anger is not righteous because we are not the judge. And it's consistent in the New Testament, not based on one or two scriptures. So when we embrace anger, we embrace the role of God. And how dangerous can that be? Sounds like the original sin, really. Jesus calls us to hunger and thirst after righteousness. Let me give you five ways that you can accomplish that. Number one, be slow to angry, to, to get angry. Be slow to get angry because it really isn't helping you the way you think it is. James chapter 119 says, but everyone must be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Slow. Don't speak. That's the problem. Everybody gets their mouth engaged before their brains or their mouth in gear before their brain's engaged. You ever done that? You ever said something and wish you could bring it right back? Yeah. And it gets out there and you're going, I mean you're sucking like, like a vacuum trying to get it back. And what happens is the person who received it does what? I mean, the facial expression, you know, uh-oh, it didn't come out right. It's like the guy that let out cuss words in front of me and he said, oh, preacher, pardon my French. To which I said, a miracle just happened. And he goes, what? I said, I don't know French, but I understood everything you said. Human anger is not the righteousness that God desires. Leave the anger to God. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. And sometimes he lets us see it. But don't worry about it. It's not, don't worry about it. Let it go. Well, they're getting away with it. Hey, they'll get theirs. But what we're supposed to do is pray for their salvation, isn't it? See, what really makes them mad is when you, when you don't react. Is when you share the love of God. I never will forget, Nikki Cruz spoke at Russell's church out in Seattle this, this weekend. And Nikki Cruz, maybe, uh, he was a part of the Mau Mau gang in New York way back when, crossing the switchblades, the book that wrote about his life. And David Wilkerson was witnessing to him. And one day, Nikki knocked him to the ground. He pulled his switchblade out and got over him. He said, he said Wilkerson, I'm going to cut you into a thousand pieces. 
if you don't shut up. And David Wilkerson looked up at him and said, Nikki, you can do that. And every piece is going to yell, Jesus loves you. And that so crushed Nikki Cruz that he found Christ and now he's a preacher of the gospel. So, number two, be quick to get rid of anger. It's harming more than you realize. Ephesians 4, 26 and 27 says, be angry. Be angry and yet not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath and do not give the devil an opportunity. Perhaps our anger functions much like lust. Jesus said in Matthew 5, 28, anyone who looks, that's the Greek word blepo, to physically or mentally stare, focus on, examine, contemplate. He said if anyone looks at a woman lustfully, has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Why is pornography a bad thing? Because you men, you women who look at it, guess what? You're committing adultery. Man, it got quiet in here all of a sudden. Number three, let love, not anger, be your motivation for action. It's more what you do with that that really matters. Temptation can, can become sin when, you're, when you partner your will with it. Number four, transform unrighteous anger into godly sorrow, grief, or mourning. For that we need the power of the Holy Spirit. Just as the emotion of anger is powerful, there is an equal, better emotion that should motivate us to action, and that's the emotion of love, of love. Now, my mother used to say, wait till your father gets home. So I lived in fear till 5 o'clock. And then she would be the one to come behind that and bring the soothing balm of Gilead and... You know, oh, everything's going to be okay. Don't worry, that leg will fit back right again. Don't, it's not a problem. Everything's going to be okay. Don't worry about your finger pointing the wrong way. It's going to be just fine. Everything's going to be Any of you have a mom and dad like that? <laughs> Love makes all the difference. Number five, be filled with the Spirit, and there, thereby you will experience His fruit. Pursue more of God in Ephesians 4 says don't give the devil any foothold don't give the devil any place it's like renting a room in your house when you hold on to anger and he'll influence you Satan will influence you but oftentimes what we do with the Holy Spirit is that we put him in a room and we only bring him out when we need him we need to have him completely covering the house we need to have him have freedom to move throughout the house and so let me ask you a series of questions. Do you want to be like Jesus? Really? Do you want to suffer well? Do you want to love people who hate you and do good to people who mistreat you? Do you want to serve rather than be served? Do you want to, be, to shun the power of popularity, embrace a life of scorn and being misunderstood? Do you want to pray for, not against your persecutors? If you've never read The Cost of Discipleship by Dietrich Bonhoeffer, you need to get that book and read it. It will so revolutionize your walk with God, it'll just transform you. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a preacher in Nazi Germany, and he spoke out against Hitler and what Hitler was doing to people and the atrocities. And they eventually killed him, because if you silence the preacher, then no more message comes out, right? <laughs> they killed Jesus, and the message is still going on. So what about you? Are you going to live like the world says to live? Or are you going to live like Jesus says to live? 
Father, I ask you this morning to be real in each of us. There's times when we have overstepped our position. There's times when we have literally gotten angry, let our emotions get in front of us, and did not stay under control. So God, I'm praying today that there will be people in this room who will say, I'm going to draw a line in the sand today. I'm going to learn to count to ten. I'm going to learn to walk away. I'm going to learn to not be angry. Because anger gives Satan an opportunity. And so God, we want to not give him any opportunity. And Father, we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. We all